Welcome to the final message in our spooky season series. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Not everybody has. A couple of weeks ago, a lady caught me after the service, and she told me how much she did not like the idea of doing a spooky season message series. She was uncomfortable with the dark color scheme and the scary lettering, and she felt it demonstrated we were the kind of church that celebrated evil instead of condemning it. And I was thinking to myself, you got all that from a phone? and the colors yellow and black? Like, I don't know, it seemed a little excessive, but hey, the more I talked to her, the more I realized she just had really strong opinions about the level of separation that a Christian should have from the rest of the world around them. Now, the irony about that is a couple days later, I was talking to another Christian and they went into elaborate detail. They were so hyped and excited about this costume that they had made for their role as a scare actor in a haunted house, all right? They were just so stoked about it, really looking forward to it. And that Christian told me that they loved Halloween. They loved scary things in general. And they said that they felt many believers were just way too uptight. You know what I mean? It's like, breathe, relax. It's going to be okay. We don't need to get so worked up over this. In fact, they said that when they were growing up, their mom was really strict on these sorts of things. And because like as a kid, they never got to go trick-or-treating. They never got to do any dress up or anything like that. They felt like as an adult, they just just latched onto it. The reason that they loved, you know, spooky season and all that so much was because they missed out, or at least they felt they missed out when they were kids. Their attitude, this particular Christian, reminded me a lot of uh, Michael Scott and his famous quote. I don't know if you remember the Halloween episode in which he said, Halloween should be a day in which we honor monsters and not be mad at each other. That's kind of what this Christian was saying. Like, we should honor the monsters and everybody get along. Let's just have fun and not worry about it, okay? So who's right? Who's right when it comes to this question? Is it the first person I talked with in the lobby or was it the second person that I talked with in the lobby? Is Halloween a demonic doorway to the occult or is it just harmless fun? Every single year, I get questions from um, Christians who are wondering, like, at what level should myself or should my family, at what level should we participate in Halloween? So in this final message of our spooky season series, we're going meta. We're going to ask whether or not it's okay for Christians to enjoy or to celebrate spooky season. Now, for some of you, this is exciting. You kind of are, like, glad that we're addressing this topic because your kids have been all excited and hyped up about dressing up and trick-or-treating and all that. But there's been a little part of you that's wondering, like, is it okay? Are we going too far? Am I crossing some line that's in God's eyes? I don't really know. So this is very timely. For others of you, you made up your mind a long time ago, either because of your theological convictions, your cultural convictions, whatever. You're just like very clear. You're like, nope, absolutely not. No way, no how. Dan, I don't care what you say today. There's no way I'm going to change my mind on all of this. And you might even be tempted to tune me out. You might say, I I have already decided this, so I'm not interested maybe in this conversation. But I'm going to encourage you to track with me today, okay? Don't tune me out just yet because I think you're going to discover that this particular question is actually just one example of the sorts of questions that we wrestle with as followers of Jesus every single day. If you've ever found yourself asking like, is it okay for a Christian to, and then fill in the blank with whatever it is that you might have in mind. For some people, it's celebrate Halloween. For others, it's like, is it okay for a Christian to drink alcohol? Or is it okay for a Christian to eat meat? Is it okay for a Christian to live in a house that costs 
X number of dollars? Is it okay for Christians to worship on a day other than Sunday? Is it okay for Christians to watch reality TV? Is it okay to listen to secular music? Is it okay to play first-person shooters? Is it okay to send your kids to public school? If you have these sorts of questions, like, is it okay for me or my family as a believer to do X, Y, or Z, then the, the way we're going to frame this question about Halloween is actually going to give you a process to discern what God might have you do on any number of issues and questions. So even if you don't care at all about Halloween, some of you guys are like, my kids are done grown. I'm not worried about Halloween. That's okay. I think this is going to be a helpful and beneficial message to you as well. So with all that in mind, let me start by giving you three truths, okay? These are general truths that come from the scripture, and uh, this is going to begin or frame our discussion this morning. Truth number one, this might surprise you, I don't know, maybe you know this. The Bible has a lot to say, but it doesn't directly address every possible situation. Did you know that? There are nearly a million words inside of this book. There are a lot of things that are written. And it seems like the Bible basically addresses everything. I don't know. You talk to some Christians and they're like, you, need, you have a question, you need an answer, just go to the Bible. You will find the answer in there. It seems like with all of those words and the way the Bible is often kind of presented, even by well-meaning Christians, that certainly if you need an answer, all you have to do is flip open to the right section and you will find the answers. Many people approach the scripture this way. They look at it as basically an encyclopedia or a dictionary. It's an answer book. And all you need to do is find the right verse and boom, your answer is going to be there. However, although the Bible does say a lot of things, it does not directly address a lot of situations. In fact, you could argue that the Bible is silent on more specific situations than it actually speaks to. I mean, that's kind of how it has to be, right? There are an infinite number of subjects and topics that the, the Bible could address, but it's got limited space in order to address them. And besides, there are plenty of things that like weren't even in existence. They weren't even a thing when the scripture was originally written. Halloween is one of those. Did you know the holiday didn't start until like 700 years after the Bible was finished, after it was completed? So of course there's no specific thing in the Bible that addresses Halloween or, or something like that, at least not by name. And of course, neither does the Bible address like internet addiction or climate change or indoor plumbing or any of these other things. So you need to understand the Bible, yes, it has answers, but it doesn't give you the answer to every question you might have at least not directly. See, when you start to study the scripture, you learn that there are two ways that the Bible teaches. God teaches truth in two ways through the scripture. He teaches through what we call precepts and what we call principles. Precepts and principles. Now, the difference between the two is pretty straightforward. It's not that difficult. Precepts are direct rules and commands. These are the thou shalt and the thou shalt not. It's just very clear. The Bible says, here's a line, don't cross it, okay? Then principles are more general sorts of truths that require you to kind of read into them a little bit. You might have to interpret what the scripture says here and how it applies to your exact specific situation, okay? So I've got an illustration for you on the difference between precepts and principles. A precept is like a 40 kilometer an hour speed limit. It's a very clear line. If it says 40K and you go over 40K, you risk getting pulled over and getting a ticket, right? 
But then a principle is a little bit different. It's one of these little guys that's hanging out. I don't know if you guys have these neighbors in your neighborhood. We do. Every other house has one of these dudes holding this little caution flag there. And the idea is like, hey, there are kids around. And so you should drive slowly and carefully. But what does slowly and carefully mean? Well, it it requires you to interpret this little yellow guy and what would be careful in any given situation. Are you with me? Precepts are bright lines, very clear. There's really no discussion or debate about them. The speed limit is 40 kilometers an hour. Principles, on the other hand, require you to think a little bit and figure out how to apply that specifically to your life. Now, when we think about principles and precepts in relation to the scripture and more specifically to this kind of conversation about Halloween and whether Christians should, um, you know, uh, celebrate it or not, the Bible has a lot of precepts in it. There are, you know, like think about thou shalt not murder, okay? There's really no discussion or debate there. You with me? It's not like you can interpret that in some way to kind of give yourself some leeway to get back at that girl that's been doing you wrong. No, you don't get that luxury. The precept is clear. Here's the boundary. If you're a follower of Jesus, thou shalt not murder, okay? But if you approach the scripture and you say, all right, scripture, what do you say on the subject of Halloween? Give me the rules. Yes, no, this is okay, this is not okay. Guess what? You discover there is no command that says thou shalt not trick or treat. It's not in there. In fact, the scripture doesn't address Halloween directly at all because there are no precepts on this particular subject. However, the scripture is full of principles that apply to that particular subject. Are you with me? So if you ever wonder like, okay, is it okay for a Christian to do X, Y, or Z? The first question you want to ask is what does the Bible say? Does it speak directly and clearly? Does it set some boundaries in which God says, now listen, if you're one of my people, you should not step over this line. Or do we have to look to the principles that are taught in scripture and then start to work to apply them to our particular situation? And I'll tell you that even though there are lots of subjects about which there are no precepts, there are always principles, okay? always principles. Any question you might have, any issue you might be dealing with, any struggle you might be facing, there are answers to be found. But if you flip open the Bible expecting a bunch of rules and precepts and clear boundaries, sometimes you'll find them. Most of the time, instead, what you're going to find are some principles that you need to think through and say, okay, what exactly would this mean for me, my family, my marriage, my work, whatever it might be? You with me? Precepts and principles. The Bible doesn't address everything precepts, but it does talk a lot in principles. In fact, truth number two is one of these principles in scripture. And truth number two is going to apply directly to this question of like, how does a Christian engage with spooky season? So truth number two, there are things our world celebrates that Christians should not. Is that surprising to you? I don't think it should be. There are things that our world celebrates that Christians should not. In Ephesians chapter number five, verse 11, we read this, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Show how they're wrong or hurtful. Show how our world has given in to unhealthy and ungodly thinking. Don't participate. Instead, show that there's a better way. Now, you'll see this is a principle. It's not a precept because when Paul says, take no part in the worthless deeds of darkness and evil, he doesn't tell us what those worthless deeds actually are. We've got to read other parts of scripture. We've got to think through what we know about God. And then we have to start to figure out, okay, how would I apply Ephesians Ephesians 5.11 
in my life. Um, there are clearly some things that the scripture sets as out of bounds, right? Like here's a mark, don't step over here. There are clearly those things that exist in scripture. And you need to understand the reason that God does give us boundaries is not arbitrary. It's not like God is mean or anything. And it's not like, um, yeah, I don't know if anybody you ever had this. This is what my parents used to do all the time when I was a kid, okay? I, they would tell me to do something and I would ask that three letter question that every kid asks after every command. Why? right? You need to do this. Why? You should never do that. I don't ever want to see you do this again. And I'm like, why? And you know what my dad always said? Because I said so. All right. That's why. That's all you need to know. Thankfully, God is not that way. He's not like, here's a boundary, Christian. Don't cross it. And we're like, but why? He's like, because I said so. Stop asking. It's not your place. No. When God sets a boundary, the reason that he gives that particular boundary is always because stepping over that boundary would put us in a place that is contrary to God's character, and it would put us in a place that is contrary to the type of world that God wants to build. You with me? So like violence, for instance, or hatred of another person, that's contrary to God's character, who is the father of all people. So when we step over a bright line and we hate somebody else that's created in God's image, he's like, you're far from me. You don't have my heart anymore in this moment. And you're building a world that is contrary to who I am. So God does give us boundaries, but the reason that he gives us these boundaries is A, because of who he is as a holy and perfect being, and because he wants the world to be more like the kingdom of heaven and a little less like the kingdom of earth. Now, many Christians will think about Halloween And they'll think about Ephesians 5.11 and they'll say clearly uh, Halloween and all the associated things that go along with it, those are worthless deeds of evil and darkness and no Christian should be participating in them. They point out how the holiday tends to glorify witchcraft and demons and serial killers and lust and they're right. And so when they ask like, how could any Christian take part in them? We ought to pause for just a moment and say, like, are there parts of this holiday that are ungodly, unhealthy? Maybe they are out of bounds for us as a Christian. Should we not take any uh, part in these worthless deeds? I think we should stop and ask that question. I really do. Then there'll be other questions, or other questions, other Christians, of course, and they'll point out like, look, guys, I get what you're saying. And yes, there are clearly parts of Halloween that are over the line, all right? But there is a massive difference between dressing your little son up as a firefighter and dressing him up like Jeffrey Dahmer. Okay, there's a difference between the two. Also, by the way, please don't, don't do that. There's been, this, there's been this spate of, art, of articles online in which everybody is like, guys, don't dress up like Jeff for Halloween. And certainly don't dress your kids up that way. It's like, does this even need to be said? I don't know. Clearly there are parts of Halloween that are over the line. But these Christians would say, listen, there are also good things that come out of this time of the year. And so maybe as Christians, we should engage with the the good. We should ignore the bad. And we just need to work to figure out where the line is. So catch this now. We're at a moment in which we have a question that the Bible does not address by precept. It doesn't say yes or no on this exact issue. So instead we have to look at the principles, but now we have two Christians that disagree with how the principle should be applied. 
Are you with me? One says the principle means we have to say no, and the other says the principle says we can say yes, but we need to be wise. Where is the line? How do we move forward? Well, the answer is found in our final truth uh, from Romans chapter number 14, okay? Romans chapter 14, truth number three. The Bible says that certain things will be sinful for one Christian and permissible for another Christian. Oh, we're getting into some meat today, okay? This is stuff that like nobody talks about. Most of you guys have never read Romans 14. You have no clue that the Bible says this, okay? Catch what I'm saying before you write me off as a heretic. I'm gonna prove to you what I'm saying. (laughs) Certain things may be sinful for one believer, but permissible for another believer. So in Romans 14, we're gonna read a long section of Romans 14 in just a moment, okay? But I wanna set it up for you. Paul is addressing like a conflict or a split that is happening in the ancient church of Rome. And this split is over whether or not Christians should be eating meat. So some believers are saying the best way for us to honor God because of like animal rights or because of our cultural convictions or theological beliefs or whatever is that Christians should just eat vegetables, vegans, vegetarianism. That's the way God would have us to go because animals are a part of his beloved creation. How dare we kill them and make them into a delicious steak? Now, on the other hand, you had Christians saying, no, no, God has given us all of these animals as a good gift. The whole reason he put them, or at least one of the major reasons he put them here was for food. And because bacon is delicious, why do you deny these things, okay? So um, there's this rift, there's this debate, this, this split that's happening. Two Christians on opposite sides of an issue And uh, Paul is going to address what's going on. Now, it's not just like eating meat or not. It turns out there were several different conflicts that were going on in this church, also at the church in Corinth. So we read a similar passage in um, 1 Corinthians 8, in which people were also arguing about whether or not it was okay for Christians to worship on another day besides Sunday. Some of them were like, uh, I, Sundays don't work for me. They're not good. That's my sleeping day or I have to work on Sundays or whatever. And so I choose Tuesday. I go to church on Tuesday. And others were saying, how dare you? Tuesday wasn't the day the Lord raised from the dead. You must not love Jesus. And so there's an argument and there's a fight. There were also arguments about whether or not Christians should own things that came from a pagan temple. So whether they should eat meat that was sacrificed in a pagan temple or whether or not it was right to have, I don't know, a piece of silverware or something from a pagan temple, did having that mean that you were compromising your devotion to Christ? So there are all of these arguments that are going on and good, godly, God-honoring Christians were on different sides of this debate. So Paul decides to weigh in and what we're gonna discover is so fascinating Rather than Paul jumping in and saying, you're right, they're wrong, now knock it off, okay? Rather than saying that, what Paul ends up saying is, you're both right. What, wait, what? How can they both be right? How can it be right to say God wants us to only eat vegetables and to say it's okay if you eat meat? That's a contradiction. It doesn't make sense, Paul. How can it be that it's okay to worship on a Tuesday, but it's also right that Christians should worship on Sunday? Paul, what are you talking about here? Let's see if he can explain himself in Romans chapter number 14. We're going to start reading in verse number one. The verses will be here on the screen. Stick with me. Paul says this, except other believers who are weak in faith. And don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. All right, if we just stopped right there and like Connect Church or the church in Calgary or the church in the Western world, probably the church around the world, if we would just focus on that, 
Like, let's not fight about disputable matters. Let's not get into long, drawn out, vicious arguments with one another over stuff that in the end isn't going to change eternity. Paul says, accept other believers who are weak in the faith. Don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. Why? Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? God is the one who's accepted them. Their own master will judge whether they stand or they fall. Okay, this is just the start. It's gonna get really good in a moment. Paul argues here that when we elevate our personal beliefs and convictions and we put them on the level of the precepts of scripture, we say, oh no, if you were to violate this line, then you can't even call yourself a Christian anymore. When we do that, we put ourselves in God's place. We are essentially saying, I'm the judge, I'm the arbiter, I'm the one that's going to tell you whether or not you're living right or living wrong, whether or not you're honoring Jesus or whether or not you're not honoring Jesus. And Paul says, you don't have that right. I don't have that right. He says here, the vegetarian Christians are not accountable to the bacon Christians. And the bacon Christians are not accountable to the vegetarian Christians. All of y'all are accountable to God. You're gonna stand before God and you're going to give an account for how you lived, what you did with the freedom he gave you. And so ultimately, it is to God that your conscience is responsible. And so he says here, essentially, don't put yourself in God's place. Don't demand that other people look at a circumstance or an issue exactly the same way that you do, particularly when the Bible doesn't give us a clear precept on these sorts of things. Now he goes on in verse number five, and he says, in the same way, and he's going to give another example here, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, for they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods will also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live to ourselves or for ourselves, and we don't die for ourselves. So Paul's point here is that Christians on either side of these disputable issues that, you know, we might disagree about, he says, listen, people are doing their best to honor God. This is what they believe is the most honoring thing one way or another. They believe they are honoring God. And so we need to be really careful at looking at somebody else who disagrees with us on a particular issue and saying, you must not love God the way that I do. Like, I take him seriously. You clearly do not, right? We shouldn't do that. Just because somebody disagrees with you doesn't mean that they're disobedient to God. Because God will speak to each of us in his own way. This is like a general communication principle, and I don't have too much time to, take, to chase a rabbit trail here, but I think it's important. Essentially, without using these exact words, what Paul is telling us to do here is to believe the best about one another instead of assuming the worst. Hey, hey, that's good communication if you're married. That's good communication when it comes to your workplace, like your coworkers and things like that. When dealing with your kids, rather than assuming the worst about their behavior, their motivations, their rationale, instead, let's just choose to believe the best until we have reason to believe otherwise. Are you with me? So like, 
Paul is essentially saying, okay, if you believe that uh, these Christians who worship on Tuesday don't love Jesus, then rather than inserting that explanation, because that's the worst, like why? Because they don't love Jesus. They don't take him seriously. They, just, they don't care about the word. They just do whatever they want to do. Rather than that, why not say, okay, what's the best possible explanation I could put here in the gap? for why they did what they did. And it might just be that they understand that no day is more holy than any other. In fact, we shouldn't be choosing one day to worship God. We should be worshiping God seven days a week, all week long. So instead of putting the worst possible explanation in there, we put the best possible explanation until we have reason to believe otherwise. Hey, could you imagine if husbands and wives started looking at one another's behaviors and saying, okay, I see what he did, and in my mind, I'm afraid he did it because X, Y, and Z. I know what he had going on. But if instead of doing that, we stopped for a moment and said, what's the best possible explanation I could insert into the gap here between expectation and reality? What's the best thing, the best reason that he could have had for doing that? And give that, assume that, unless and until you learn otherwise. That would change your posture towards one another. That would change your posture towards the people around you. Paul says here, listen, just because somebody disagrees with you doesn't mean they're being disobedient. So rather than jumping to the worst case scenario, rather than inserting you know, the worst possible explanation, instead, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They're doing what they believe is honoring to God. All right, last section. He goes on to say in verse number 14, he says, and he's gonna tip his hand a little bit here. He's gonna say, listen, I'll tell you what I think, but in the end, it doesn't even matter what I think. By the way, I'll tell you what I think about Halloween, but in the end, it doesn't even matter what I think. Okay. He says this, I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. It's like, it's, eat what you want, okay? But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person, it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it in front of them. So don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something that they've decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, then you're sinning if you go ahead and do it, for you're not following your conviction. If you do anything you believe is not right, then you are sinning. This is fascinating, you guys. This is mind-blowing stuff. Like, this is the sort of stuff that a mature Christian can sit down and wrestle with for years, trying to figure out, like, wow, what are the implications of this? This is really good stuff. The picture we get from this passage is that there are things that will, will be permissible for one believer and sinful for another. So the question is like, God may say it's okay to eat meat or only vegetables. So if you choose to eat meat, great, do it and honor God while you do it. Oh man, I'm just blessing God while I'm eating that ribeye. You with me? It's like, woo, God, thank you for the gift of this cow. I love it. It's delicious. I have a good, good father in heaven. Okay, thank you. I have another steak fan. But hey, now, if you choose only to eat vegetables, then do it and honor God in it. The problem is not what we choose. The problem is when we start to require other Christians to live at the standard we've set rather than the standard that God has set. So he's, he's warning us here. We need to be very careful to recognize there are going to be things that are out of bounds for you and okay for your sister. 
There are going to be things that are improper and unhealthy in your household that your neighbor, a God-loving, God-following family might choose to do, and they're not wrong because they chose to draw the boundary in a different place on these disputable matters. I can think of another good example. Um, Amber's mom, I love her to death. Like, I love my, my mother-in-law. She's amazing. Donna, if you're watching, which you probably aren't, but anyway, love you. Um, I'm just trying to be a good son-in-law here. Anyway, um, but it's true. So uh, her mom has a very strict rule in her house, and Amber had to deal with this growing up, that they would not listen to secular music or anything that sounds like secular music. Are you with me? So it's like no rock and roll, no hip hop, none of that sort of stuff. Amber, like someday she'll tell you some stories about how this played out during her teenage years. It's amazing. They're so funny. But her mom basically says this, look, this music puts me back into a season in my life. I just remember hearing that song when I was doing things that didn't honor Jesus. And so when I hear that song, I think about my life before I knew Jesus, and I don't want that association. And so here's the thing. As a teenager, of course, you're like, Mom, that's so lame. How dare you? That wasn't Amber. That was just me, you know. Um, <laughs> but here's the deal, okay? Okay. Although God might say, hey, listen, there are plenty of secular songs that are totally fine and there's no genre of music that is inherently bad or anything like that, okay? But for Donna, it's wrong. And if she steps over that line and her conscience convicts her, guess what? She's actually sinning. But Amber, who doesn't share the same conviction because she doesn't have the same experience, when Amber listens to that kind of music, it's not sin for her. Paul is saying there is so much depth and nuance to following Jesus. And like, we tend to think of it as just black and white. You're in, you're out, you're right, you're wrong or whatever. But a mature Christian recognizes that there are things that will be permissible for one believer and sinful for another, okay? So uh, real quick, before we move on, I'm gonna wrap this thing up. Um, I need to reiterate something. I need to clarify something here, okay? Paul in Romans 14 is not saying, so in the end, guys, just decide what you think is best and do it. Like everything is a disputable matter. It's not like he's saying here, you know, you have the freedom now to say God's teaching on sexuality is one of these principles. And, you know, I just, it's for me. No, you, yeah, you should probably follow it. But for me, no, there are clearly precepts that are written in the Bible. There are commands. There are thou shalt and thou shalt nots. And there's no circumstance in which we can cross over those lines. Those are precepts. But when it comes to these principles, these disputable matters, I just believe that the church would be so much better off if we looked at one another with grace and love if we said, okay, even if you disagree with me on this particular issue, I still love you as a brother and sister in Christ, and let's be busy about loving and serving him together. The church would be in such a healthier place. We wouldn't have a million denominations. We wouldn't have Christians arguing all the time. I just believe the church would be a better place. So with those three things in mind, let me do what I told you I was going to do, which was to talk about whether or not Christians should celebrate Halloween. Um, in the end, it really doesn't matter what I'm about to say. What matters is what God's spirit prompts you to do or not to do in consultation with his word and his spirit. Are you with me? So I'm going to lay out kind of, this is my best pastoral advice. And if you disagree with me, either on this side of the issue or on that side of the issue, it's okay. All right. So let me speak to those who are Christians and you embrace Halloween fully. You're just like, I love it, man. It's the best part of the year. Better than Christmas, all right? 
There are clearly aspects of Halloween that are anti-Christian and unhealthy for followers of Jesus to participate in. Like, we just can't, like, there shouldn't be any argument about that. Of course, there are things in Halloween that are too far over the line. We read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, you are free, yet you are still God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. My friends, don't use Halloween as an excuse to do evil. Don't use Halloween as an excuse to get blackout drunk. Don't use Halloween as an excuse to put on a costume that puts all your assets on display. You wouldn't go to work like that. Don't go to a party like that. Don't use Halloween as an excuse for a casual hookup. Don't use Halloween as an excuse to fill your mind with all sorts of evil and violence and, and anti, uh, you know, ungodly sorts of things. Don't use your freedom as an excuse for evil. That means that for those of us that take a more um, casual, not casual, I shouldn't say that, that take a more nuanced approach to Halloween, like we really have to say, okay, like uh, where is the line? And if I'm over the line, then I got to deal with that, okay? I'd also like to encourage those of you guys that are Christian parents, okay? Um, if, if, you, if you are thinking through this as a Christian parent, you've got young kids in particular, but also older kids as well, like teach your kids from a young age to engage with a holiday like Halloween critically as a follower of Jesus. It's okay to tell them there are parts of the holiday that we won't participate in as Christians. There are parts that, that, that doesn't honor God, and so we choose not to do those things. One of the easiest ways or, or lines to draw is in how you let your kids dress up or what you let them dress up as for Halloween, okay? So, like, as a Christian parent, if your kid wants to dress up as Black Panther, like, Wakanda forever, do it, okay? <laughs> but don't let them dress up like mini Cardi B, okay? There are lines that we probably shouldn't cross. And as a Christian parent, if you're going to say, I have freedom, you got to be cautious not to use your freedom as an excuse to do evil or to teach your kids that that freedom is an excuse to do evil. I know you don't want your kids to grow up and be sheltered and weird. I know that, okay? But we also don't want them to grow up without any healthy boundaries. And so as parents, we've got to model that. All right, let me speak to those of you guys that are just convinced the holiday is evil. No matter what, it's unredeemable. Um, First, I've got no desire to change your mind. It's okay. If you disagree on this particular issue, that's fine. Do what God wants you to do. But I do want to just quickly address some of the flaws that you kind of typically see when it comes to Halloween and things like that. Um, The first is that it's very often mentioned, like, Christians should never participate in Halloween because there's so much evil that's associated with October 31st and Halloween. And again, yes, absolutely, okay? But if we can be real for a moment, there is a lot of evil and ungodly things that are associated with every single holiday, even the explicitly Christian ones. You realize that, right? Think about Christmas for a moment. There is so much secularism and consumerism that goes on around Christmas. Like people will spend money they don't have to try to prove they love people they don't even like. It's crazy. That's ungodly. It's unbiblical. I believe Jesus looks down at some of our Christmas celebrations and he's like, you guys have got to be kidding me. But that sort of ungodly behavior by some people doesn't prevent us from celebrating Christmas. 
We still celebrate Christmas. And so I, just to say, yes, there's a lot of evil with Halloween, but that doesn't mean that there is no good in the holiday as well. Another thing that's often pointed out is that Halloween has pagan roots, right? It's like, oh, if you study the history, it goes back and it was pagans and, you know, they were doing all of these bad things. And yes, that's true. But, you know, originally, like the word Halloween, it means All Hallows Eve. It's the night before All Hallows Day or All Saints Day, which is like one of the most explicitly Christian holidays holidays on the calendar. And so there's a lot more nuance to this than simply saying, oh, well, it has pagan roots. So much of our world has pagan roots. Do you realize that the majority of the planets in our solar system were named after false gods? But I don't see any Christians out on the corner picketing Jupiter. They're like, not in my solar system. (laughs) So like, Either be consistent or don't. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, and lastly, I'll just say this. Like, I know that your position on Halloween is designed to honor God. That's the reason you've taken the stand. It's why you won't turn on your light and give kids candy. It's why your kids don't dress up or go door to door. Okay, that's, that's fine. I know it is out of a sincere desire to honor God in the way that you believe is best. But I'll just consider, I'll have you consider what that could be costing you in terms of your children or in terms of your neighbors. Like, I know you're trying to send a, a strong signal. You want to witness, okay? And and. This may be the witness that God wants you to send, but if in the process you lose the hearts of your children by like just drawing such strict and harsh lines, or you miss out on opportunities to get to know and love your neighbor during this season because you're dark and you don't participate in any of this sort of stuff, then I think you might have gone too far. You can actually not be involved in any sort of Halloween things and do it in a way which still allows your kids to have a good time during this year, doesn't make your neighbors think you're a total weirdo, that actually opens the door for gospel conversation, for gospel hospitality, all of those different things. So in the end, um, should a Christian celebrate Halloween? The answer is yes, or the answer is no. I don't know. You do you, boo. Figure out, oh, boo, that's good. I didn't even catch the double meaning. That's solid. Okay, in the end, in the end, I think we need to keep in mind Romans chapter number 14, verse 17, which says this. The kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In the end, this is what God wants. He's not going to look at you someday and say, did you celebrate Halloween? He's going to look at you and say, as someone who was freed by Christ and given his Holy Spirit, did you ask me whether you should celebrate Halloween? Did you try to honor me in what you chose to eat or which church you decided to go to, or did you choose it for your own individual selfish reasons? The kingdom of God is not a matter of rules and right and wrong. It is a matter of knowing God's spirit and then as a result, living full of joy and peace and goodness every single day. Father, I pray that your word would find root in our heart and that God, it would challenge us and encourage us to continue to submit every area of our lives to you as our Lord and Savior and to say, God, what would you have me to do? Is it okay for me to do this? Is it okay for me to do that? And if you say, yes, God, I pray that we would receive it with gladness. And if you say no, I pray that we would obey it and recognize this is a way in which we can keep you in the central place in our lives. Thank you for being good. Thank you for being present. And thank you for blessing us with your wisdom, Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.